0: Shut up and sit down. And welcome theater peeps to episode 2 of Hot Take Theater. I'm your host Chris Peterson, editor-in-chief of OnStage Blog at onstageblog.com. Absolutely ecstatic that you're joining me for what should be a very fiery episode, as all of our episodes will be, I promise you that. But this podcast is brought to you by the Onstage Blog Podcast Network, where you can find right now almost a dozen podcasts dealing in all different types of subjects, from movie musicals, to general entertainment, to professional wrestling, to TV, I mean, we're covering it all. So definitely check that out at onstageblog.com, and most of those podcasts are available wherever You can find podcasts. So we're now into episode two. We're hitting a rhythm now with this podcast. And I want to preface this entire show because we are pivoting a little bit. And I want to give you an explanation first before we start getting into some hot takes this week. Like I said, if this is your first time joining us, this is where we're going to be talking about some different subject areas in theater, giving some fire opinions, having some good guests on, but always, always making sure that we end the show on a positive note. So I want to preface this episode because we are making a change. I know it's episode two. We're changing things already. But you all should know that this podcast is going to get a lot more fiery uh, than previously. We are going to strive to make headlines because there are issues that desperately need attention. And I feel like that's the way we're going to be able to do it. It's not by being quiet. It's by being loud. And I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Here at On Stage Blog, at the end of each year, I consider the end of each year to be the Tony Awards. And at the end of the Tony Awards, I basically make my goals for the coming year for the blog. And one of my goals this year was to do a little different things, bring more writers, start new sections, you know, break into different territories. But I always like to set some really preposterous goals, goals that there are absolutely no way I am going to achieve. And there is absolutely no way to to confirm that I've achieved them. But they are goals that I will will always make sure that I strive for every single day. Because if I come up just short, chances are I'm probably going to do some incredible things. So, one of those goals this year is that I want to become the most well-known person in the theater industry. Preposterous. Ridiculous. Never going to happen, right? But again... If I do everything every single day on this blog to try to attain that goal, again, who knows where we could go? Who knows how far we can go with some of these things? Now, the reason why I want to do this is not because I'm selfish. It's not because I need attention. It's not because I want to be famous. None of that. The reason being is that if I am pushing out as much content as possible with the intent of getting as many eyes on this as possible then we can really address a lot of different issues and potentially really affect change. So we're going to be talking about a lot of those issues, especially on this podcast. This podcast will be the driving force in that because I promise you, I want this podcast to be much different than a lot of the other theater podcasts that you're listening to. This is not going to be a happy-go-lucky, glad-handing interview show. No offense to those people that do those types of podcasts. But they have to do those podcasts because they have to be nice to people, to get guests to have you know to keep those relationships positive and uh, for access and, and content. I'm not like that. I don't need that. All I need is a microphone and something to talk about and I will be able to do the type of show that I want to do. And as this thing grows, again, who knows where it's going to go? I've got you know um, you know targets in mind so to speak, of where I want where I want to go with this, but you know again, We're wide open. We're going to just shoot for the moon. So this program will be much different than a lot of the other podcasts you listen to. It's going to be different than Sirius XM, which I have my issues with. Um, It's going to be different than everything. Broadway radio, you know, forget those guys. So again, we're doing something completely different on this podcast. And I promise you, it's going to make waves. And the intent is to make waves. So I am going to say things on this podcast that are going to upset you. I'm going to say things on this podcast that you're going to disagree with. And I want that to happen. I want you to disagree with me. I want you to be angered. I want you to feel something on this podcast. I want you to be engaged. And I want you to listen. Because, again, nothing I'm talking about on this podcast is unimportant. Everything is important. Everything needs to be discussed. And that's what we're going to do. And the reason why I felt I needed to you know, preface this is because... You know, if I lose friends along the way, because let's be honest, when I'm when I'm talking about some of these subjects, I might be calling out friends of yours. This is a small community. People think that Broadway is this gigantic industry. It's actually a very small community, and I will likely be calling out people that you're friends with, colleagues with, you idolize, shows that you love, directors that you love to work with, producers that you're afraid of, uh, casting directors, the whole nine yards. I'm going after everything everything. And I'm not doing it in a malicious way. I'm not going to try to manufacture controversy. That's not what I do here. What you're going to get from me is a 100% genuine reaction and opinion. Okay? You're not going to get passive aggressiveness. You're not going to get pleasantries. You're not going to get politeness. You're going to get 100% honest, genuine opinions with factual information. I'm not making up myths here. So I'm not going to manufacture controversy here. Okay? The things that I'm talking about, the things that I get angry and fiery about and whatnot, those are actual things that get me upset. However, on the flip side, I promise you this. I will praise the hell out of people on this show if they're doing some amazing things on and off stage. I promise you that. Especially people that don't get nearly the attention that they should. So I'm gonna put that out there. So again, the everything you hear will be hundred percent genuine. I am not holding back on anything or anyone. So the people that are doing some amazing things they're gonna get uplifted on this show to the nth degree, and the people that are doing bad things, I'm gonna roast you, and that's just gonna happen again because you folks need to hear different type of podcast. Okay, it has to be different. So, that's that's the show. Okay, and I felt I needed to preface this once again because I might lose some friends over this, and that's okay. And if my friendships were based on those types of things and me saying those types of things and not me being the you know them liking the person I actually am and whatnot, that's fine. So the people that know me, they really know me. It's about time the rest of you got to meet me as well. That's basically how I look at it. So without further ado, let's get into the big show. First things first, I'm going to pre. I'm going to call this one, I'm going to title this How the Hades Town Cast Really Let Me Down. I know that's not exactly a rhyme, but they really disappointed me last week. Um, in case you didn't see, Broadway World carried the story with the photo flash that, um, Actor Ben Vereen uh, was able to visit the cast uh, backstage, the the cast of Hades Town, and they showed off um, kind of a photo reel of him posing with uh, different cast members in the show. Everybody from Andre DeShields, to Reeve Carney to Eva Noblezada to Patrick Page and the entire ensemble and and whatnot, and they're all smiling, they're all glad handing, and they're all you know putting their arms around each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's my problem, and and this is. Where the cast really disappointed me. And I'm not going to go after them too hard because, you know, some of them don't really have the power to, you know, decline things and stuff like that. But here's my issue. And this is where I was really disappointed and let down. So last year, last year, the New York Daily News, USA Today, Variety, Hollywood Reporter all re- published a report of abuse allegations by of, of Ben Vereen. And part of that story was Ben Vereen apologizing for his actions. So he confirmed it and he apologized for him. He didn't deny anything. Um, for those of you who don't know, like I said, Google this, you can find it. Just Google Ben Vereen. It's one of the first things that comes up after all of his bios. But on January 5th, again, this, this came out of 2018. Uh. According to cast members of a, sh- a show that he was directing in Venice, Florida, it's actually a production of Hair. Uh, the ca- several of the cast members came forward and reported various different abuses, from verbal to sexual. It's just it's all bad. It was all bad, and I was heavily involved in that story. Um, initially, the cast members came to me, seeing how big this story was. And it needed, you know, professional, I felt, you know, resources. Uh, I reached out to various publications. Actually, I shouldn't say various, two. Um, one of which really showed interest. The other one showed slight interest. One being The Times, the other being The New York Daily News. And The New York Daily News, uh, I ended up working with them quite closely. But the disappointing thing is, so this this comes out last January. So January of 2018. So almost, you know, a year, year and a half ago. And... Within a hundred or so days after his apology, we started seeing Ben Vereen getting welcomed back to various places, whether it's backstage at shows, whether it's at the Cheetah Rivera Awards, left and right. He's being welcomed back by this community. Keep in mind, this is the same guy. I'm just going to read you some of the accusations that, again, Vereen admitted to and apologized for. So, Vereen, uh, during this production of Hair in 2015, admitted to making all the actresses kiss him on the lips at the end of rehearsals, one of which actually refused, and it actually led to dis- a disciplinary conversation about how she wasn't, quote-unquote, opening herself up to love. And But yet, at the same time, you know, it doesn't matter because a year later, after this report comes out, he's being welcomed back by the community. Even though... Vereen admitted to hugging an actress in the cast, pressing himself up against her, texting her later, and saying, You felt so good tonight. There he is, being welcomed backstage at productions like Once on this Island, and Hades Town, and, and whatnot. During rehearsals of hair, Vereen told an actress that her not having children must make her feel worthless as a woman. He said this to her just so she could respond emotionally In The scene he did the same thing to a young man he perceived as being gay by announcing to him in front of the rest of the cast admit it you like dick you're you're an F word. So it would all seem that all is well now however, and it only took a year. It only took a year. Mr. Vreen is back being the legendary performer that many love and admire and nobody seems to remember his past and no one's worse yet no one seems to care. Everybody in this community is, just seems ready to move on. And that is so sad. It is so freaking sad. And here's where, this is why I'm I'm just honest to God, disappointed by this cast. Because, again, this is someone who just about a year ago, or a little over a year ago, was found out to, to have engaged in this type of misconduct. He used his power and stature to sexually harass and abuse two different female cast members of that production of hair. And yet, here he is with his arms around the cast, them idolizing him. I I love Danny Burstein, but he posted something on his Instagram basically calling Ben his idol, and it made me sick. When are we as this industry, when is this community going to properly handle and exile these types of perpetrators yes he apologized I'm glad he apologized but it doesn't take away what he did and it sure as hell doesn't mean that you have to elevate him back to his status that he was before as if nothing happened that is called erasure and that is very very dangerous in this industry so when is this industry actually going to tackle this issue because they haven't yet we're seeing perpetrators being welcomed back into this community because of their talent, because of their influence. It almost like it doesn't matter. And worse yet, it takes, the, it takes away all the bravery that these victims had to come forward. It invalidates them. It erases them. It's the wrong thing to do. So I don't get it. I don't honestly get it. And worse yet, I'm worried about the ripple effects of this because you see Ben Vereen. And I don't want to hear from a single cast member of Hadestown or Moulin Rouge or any of other of these shows that welcomed Ben Vereen backstage to take pictures with female cast members and all this stuff that you didn't know. I don't want to hear that excuse. This was one of the biggest stories, one of, one of the biggest Me Too things that came out during that height of that, of that period. Okay, This was all over the place. It wasn't picked up by the AP. It was in every single publication you can think of. So, so I don't want to hear it from people. I don't want to hear that they didn't know. You did know. And yet you ignored that. You ignored everything. And you decided to make sure that he gets the status and the privileges that he did before all this stuff came out. And my biggest concern is that when victims, current victims, people that are being abused right now in this industry, because it's happening, it is happening, um, are going to see this and they're going to say, what's the point? Why even come forward? Nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to change. This industry is not going to force out perpetrators. Now, there are some people out there that want to say, well, we can't you know, forever exile people. Still, People still should be allowed to to make a living, you know what? You're absolutely right, but my point is they don't have to make a living in this industry. They don't have to make a living in the same stature that they did before, which they used to abuse others. There is nothing to say that James Barber, who was convicted of sex crimes with a teenager, couldn't make a living as a car salesman, couldn't make a living as a you know person who works in insurance or in another industry in the private sector. Same thing goes for Maramezar. Yes, you're an accomplished dancer. You also did a really shitty thing, so you're out. Here's Go find another job in another industry because you're done in dance. Why can't we do that in this industry? Why can't we just say to these people, you're done? Why can't casting directors understand that? Do Google searches before the cast people. It's not discriminatory. It's doing your due diligence to make sure you're keeping your casts and your productions safe. These productions are built on trust. They're intimate spaces. We cannot have people that are perpetrators of these issues, of these these incidents and crimes within these casts. You just can't, because you're just setting yourself up for failure. So again, I was really disappointed with this. It's it's one more log on the fire of disappointment with how the professional theater industry, and I'm not just talking about Broadway. I'm talking about every you know professional theater out there has handled these situations because they really just haven't done a great job and we keep welcoming back these perpetrators we just need to stop we need to stop doing this and really send a message saying that this stuff won't be tolerated anymore because that is how we support victims that is how these things you know people can come forward and make proper complaints reach out to resources the whole nine yards but if we keep showing publicly our admiration for perpetrators less than two years after it came out that they were a perpetrator, then you're just endangering people. You're just endangering people. So yes, I'm not going to go after the people of Town too much. But here's what I will say. One, they really disappointed me. And two, I can't call them true allies. You can't. You just can't. Let's move on. This week, I wanted to have a real discussion about misogyny in the theater industry. And I wanted to ask my good friend, Ashley Griffin, who hosts another podcast on this network, Stage Directions, who she's an actress, she's a writer, she's a director, she's a producer. So she's worked with a lot of different people in this industry and she's seen a lot of things. And I wanted to bring her on this podcast because she brings great perspective and to talk about what she's witnessed and how we can also solve these things and how we can fix them and make basically this industry a better one. So... Let's bring in Ashley, and we're back. And I am now joined by my good friend and frequent co-host on all these different podcasts, Ashley Griffin. How are you?
1: I'm good, thanks. How are you doing?
0: Good. I'm glad that we finally had a free moment to talk. You've done a ton of research on the on these various topics. So I just want to talk to you about what you've seen in terms of misogyny in theater. Where do you where the progress that that's happened? You know, where can we go? What can we do to help solve these things? The whole nine yards. So I want to start by just asking you. Yeah. Massaging in the theater in general, like what what's going on right now? Because you're coming from the professional theater industry. What are you seeing out there right now?
1: Um, well, it's interesting. And I'm certainly not the first person to say what I'm about to say, but I, I very much agree with it, which is the wonderful Me Too and Time's Up movements that have been happening. Um, I, although I feel like the theater world is kind of the last in the entertainment industry to kind of catch up with a lot of things. I feel like what's been happening in the film industry and a lot of conversations in the music industry and things um, hasn't necessarily really translated to the theater world. It hasn't in, in a certain regard. Um, I know that there was a lot of sort of purging of certain people at like casting agencies and whatnot that there had been um, complaints is the wrong word. Um, what word am I thinking of um, allegations and whatnot about, but it's it's it feels kind of five steps behind what's going on in other areas of the world. Mm. And I don't mm. know. I don't know why that is. Um, But I mean, it's not great and it's not something that's talked about a ton. It's certainly being talked about a lot more. Um, I also want to point out that I, I think that there's a mis- misogyny really means you know sort of um, disrespect um and hatred of women i also see that happening a lot with maybe men who fall a little bit more on the feminine side of the spectrum um certainly in the trans community and whatnot as well so i definitely want to include all those voices in it um yeah it's just it's just not great and it's sort of all the things that you have heard about and are thinking about um it's all, it's
0: all happening.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, I, I'm looking at it from the standpoint that I think one of the roots is at least in the present day roots is the fact that a lot of the, you know, the head of these production companies, the heads of these theater companies, the directors, the um, head designers, they're all men. Um, You know, it's, it's really like an 80, 20 seems to be like percentage of, of these positions. And I think that's where we get this this origin of this problem is that when you, when the the men are in charge, as some of, while some of them certainly are not, you know, misogynists and, and you know things like that. It just it it feels like it's a breeding ground for that.
1: Yeah, and you know, it's interesting. I guess I'll share a little personal experience. Um, I grew up not, and I think this is a huge blessing, but not really realizing what a problem this was. Um, hmm. My mom is. Incredible. She's a very strong woman. Um, the rep company I grew up at had a husband and wife co-artistic directing team. Um, my very first directors were women, um, so I kind of didn't. As and I mean, I was a child in the industry, so I didn't necessarily experience a ton of that right off the bat. I mean, my first mentors for directing and writing and producing and stuff were all women, so I was like. Great. Well, you know, that, that's something that happens to like other people in bad circumstances, mm-hmm. but you know, whatnot. It wasn't, and I, I want to be very careful as I continue this podcast, because I, I, I don't want to name drop. And I feel sure. terrible about that because the truth, the truth is I do. And the negative side of that is it would negatively impact my career. And um, it's, it's something I can't really risk. And that makes me feel really angry and really upset. and and
0: that's a good point because that's that's the big thing that i find especially with this industry as opposed to other industries where the retaliation in the theater theater community for whistleblowers whether it's this type of stuff or anything for that matter i mean even if it's unethical behavior by producers from a financial level um the retaliation is swift it is permanent Mm -hmm. i i've Gone on said many times that this industry punishes whistleblowers more than it does the actual perpetrators, and um, I, I don't blame any performer out there who wants to anonymously come forward or not name names and things like that. Because it, it, until the industry is better at this, then um, it, I, what can we what can we do? You know.
1: Well, and I will say that I'm I'm fortunate that I have never been assaulted by somebody in a position of power in the industry if that were the case i would 100 percent come forward mm-hmm. and say that mm-hmm. i'm talking more about things that are a little more insidious sure. um, which is why i feel more hesitant about it, and i don't necessarily feel the like i must you know go out and speak this person's name um but like for example there's there's a casting director that did this with me has a reputation for it. Um, tried to date me and does this frequently with, um, women. And when that is maybe not reciprocated, um, blacklist them. Um, it's actually, it's funny because I'm also obviously on both sides of the table. It's one of the reasons that I won't hire them as a casting director, a, because it's wildly inappropriate and not cool, but B like half of the most talented women in the city are never brought in by this person because of this sort of personal thing. Um, But to circle back a bit, my first sort of real understanding of this in the industry, um, besides weird little things, like I remember being a teenager in some shows and some members of the production teams like would hit on me and I was I was savvy. So I was able to like sidestep it. But Um, I mean, I remember a musical director once in rehearsal, kind of coming up behind me under the guise of like looking at my music and then sort of like nuzzling my neck and stuff. And that this was all just under the guise of like, oh, we're all like family. Right. I hate to say that because we are family and there's great things and, you know, physical affection in the right form when everybody's comfortable with it is great and is a part of theater. But like, these are things that are not okay. I might've been underage also when it happened. Um, So, but the real wake up call that I had was when I first started having major success as a writer and I had started having meetings and conversations about um, transferring the shows that I was doing. And I would suddenly find myself in meetings with very, very important people and I would be the only woman in the room. I'd Mm. also be the youngest person in the room and that's a whole other conversation, but the only woman in the room and people would talk over my head. Like I wasn't there. Like they would, they would treat me like, Oh, she happened on a good idea, but like, let the real people talk. And I, I would, we all know I'm a little Hermione Granger and I literally would have to very, um, very cognizantly change my body psychology, become more aggressive, like force myself into the conversation and like prove that I knew what I was talking about. And it would always, take everybody back. And I remember one time there was one other woman in the room and she like took me aside. It's like, Oh, it's so great to have another woman here. And, <laughs> um, and it's just, it's just not cool. I mean, I, I remember being in a, a recording session for, um, a show and I was again, the only woman there and all of the men just started, I guess, having a locker room talk about who in the cast they would sleep with and just only speaking about the women in the company based on their personal views on their physical attractiveness. Um, I had a casting director once I was, I was going in for a kind of, um, Dolores and babes in arms esque kind of eight Oh Annie ish role, make a comment that like, Oh, I just couldn't stop staring at your boobs. Um, and it's all like funny and jokes and things like that. Um, I, I know women on the other side of the table that will get called in to interview for roles as, you know, like producers or writers or directors. Um, and it will very clearly be said in the beginning of it, like, you know, we're only interviewing you to meet our quota or we want to, we, we want to look woke. So we're trying to hire a woman. Ugh. And then in all honesty, what happened with the New York City Ballet and with the repeated casting of certain people that were involved in that makes me so angry i can't even begin to tell you i feel like and i'm so happy for the articles and stuff that you're posting about it and that you're talking about it because um there seems to be this past that people get and this like well you know we can ignore things because of talent and it's it's just so wildly inappropriate and makes me so angry and so uncomfortable um and i think it's little things too i'm i'm a part of the wonderful facebook group um women in theater and film And there was a Facebook conversation that was going on recently uh, with um, a wonderful costume designer who, um, sorry, I hope I'm, if you're listening and you're a part of that Facebook group, I hope it's okay for me to talk about this, but was having a great conversation about the fact that she wanted to be inclusive and she wanted to find ways to bring up to her theater company about making dressing rooms gender neutral. And I found that conversation fascinating. I commented on it and other women did too, where we kind of were all like, For the reasons that you want to do it, awesome. Anybody Mm -hmm. who's like non-binary, non-gender conforming, you know, trans or whatnot, like should a hundred percent be able to be comfortable in a dressing room situation. So many women who are literally like under no circumstances would we be okay with gender neutral dressing rooms purely because we do not feel safe changing in front of cis men. Straight, yeah, cis men. I've had issues with gay men as well. I was gonna say straight cis men. It, it can also be gay men too. Every single one of us, and I don't wanna generalize because I know that men are, are victims of assault as well, like hugely, and that's a big problem. Um, there's no generalizations ever to be made when it comes to orientation or um, identification. That being said, every, me and everybody I know, I've never had a problem with another woman I've never had a problem with a trans person. I've never had a problem with a non-binary person. Um, I've only had issues with cis men. <laughs> um, and literally, it was to the point where, where in this conversation, they're like, we want all of our non-binary and trans people to feel included. We will be changing in the bathroom.
0: Mm.
1: Um, and these are things that just aren't talked about a lot. Yeah. I mean, they're kind of talked about, but nothing's being done about it. I mean, in the way that like stuff was done about Harvey Weinstein stuff doesn't really seem to be done about it. And, um, it's, I, I I don't know what to do. I wish I had a solution, but I think that, um, part of the problem is that the people mainly that are in positions of power are the people that are the ones causing the problem Mm. and not really the ones able to come up with strong solutions for it. Um, I think it's also a worldwide thing that we need to have a conversation about how we treat women in general. And this has obviously been going on for thousands of years, but um, it's bad and it's not good. And a lot of people yeah. don't see that. Um, and it happens everywhere with every job. So mm. It's not just actresses. I feel like that's generic. People sort of think about that, but it's, it's not just with actresses. Um one thing i found interesting was one of the things i'm known for is the production of hamlet that i did where i played I, I i i feel like i'm making this up every time i say it but apparently it's true there were articles written about it i'm the first person in history to be nominated for a major award for both playing and directing hamlet and our concept was that hamlet was a woman who'd been raised as a man for succession purposes So I was dressed as a man, I was bound, I was in um, a suit, I was in a a wig. Um, And when we were in tech, I was directing while dressed that way. And I found it really fascinating because there were some people in the company that listened to me when I was directing dressed that way that did not really listen to me when I wasn't. Mm. um we did multiple productions of this i'm not naming any names i'm not calling anybody out but it was fascinating to me the other experience that i had was um i played rosalind in a production of as you like it and as um sort of an acting exercise the company dressed me up as a man and took me out to a sports bar in times square to sort of give me the feel of what it means to try to exist in that world and try to i want to say pass i don't want to I don't want to use that word because I, I'm, I don't want to um, say anything that might offend anybody in the trans community. That's certainly not what I was trying to do. Sure. It was an acting exercise that I was trying to accomplish. What was fascinating to me was as a human being, my experience of it. So we're walking down Times Square. Um, I suddenly, A, became very aware of how much everything in the world was marketed to men, Um, how every billboard was hot, sexy girls, um, or a bunch of men that I could choose to identify with how every bar was playing sports on TV. Um, and when I walked down the street, I noticed this thing where when men would pass, they would kind of check out the women that were with the group and they would make eye contact with me and just sort of acknowledge my existence and then move on. And I suddenly realized that it was the very first time in my life since I was a child that I was walking down the street and I wasn't a little bit afraid and I did not have any comprehension that I walked down the street through my life that way on a daily Mm -hmm. basis. I didn't know. I wasn't sort of checking around to just be aware of who was around me. I wasn't like holding my purse tightly. I wasn't trying to avoid eye contact with guys I was passing. Um, It was like, I was just treated like another human being and i didn't realize that that wasn't something that i experienced on a daily basis um,
0: that that's like actually brings up a good point i think what's yeah. interesting and i think hopefully we're progressing in a nice in a better way is that <clears throat> the um i guess uh people noticing yeah uh, misogyny when it happens uh noticing these things when they like harassment when it happens right. i feel if anything that's come out of the Me Too and the Time's Up movement and things like that, my my hope is that, first of all, that it ends, number one. But number two is that that we we notice the behavior, we see the behavior quicker now and things like that. And you just kind of mentioned how we're walking down the street. That's something you never really thought about beforehand, but right. now kind of do. And, and I'm hoping that we've progressed at least in some way of, of women and men who feel that they are being you know, harassed that can identify that as harassment now, um, and hopefully it can can do something about it. I mean, that's that's the the, the hope there. So, yeah. um, let me ask you this: actually, why do you think? I, I guess you could say, I mean, I, I don't I don't know, you know, the finance industry or the insurance industry or sports industry that well, but it seems like this industry, the, the being theater, um you know we talked about the New York City Ballet stuff i mean you know I, I, you know the whole casting of Amar Ramsar in west side story and we've seen this happen many times before where these people that are in you know that have these these uh sus- suspect pasts or incidents recently they seem to just get jobs and people overlook that i, I understand that like the like trump tr- uh that talent trumps uh everything but why is it in this theater industry that casting directors and producers will just overlook all of that and just cast these people blindly?
1: Well, I think where they're probably coming from, and I think that there's value in this um, when you look at it in general over a spectrum of issues, which is um, you don't want to condemn somebody for life for something that they may have done. You know, I think Going the opposite direction would be horrible as well of uh, and I'm not necessarily talking about sexual harassment or misogyny here. I'm talking about like anything of, oh, you did this thing 10 years ago. You can never work again. Like, I think that that's a very dangerous route to go as well. Um, But I think that there's this view that, oh, but they're really, really talented and they said they're sorry. So, okay, And. I'm thinking if I were in the company of West Side Story, I would be so uncomfortable going to work with him on a daily basis. Mm. There's, there's no thought about that. And there's the, the other thing is there's no real accountability. You know, it's not like, I mean, I don't know the personal stories of all these people, but has serious work been done? Have they really, you know, made some sort of attempt at restitution for what happened? Like, I don't think so. Like this guy, I believe, forgive me if I'm getting this wrong, it could be somebody else, but I believe it's him um sued the New York City Ballet for his firing and his union got him his job back and so now every single woman in the New York City Ballet has to go to work with him every day and have him partner them like and and how he got his job back I don't know but it was it was like illegal for them to officially fire him which I don't think should be illegal um, yeah there
0: was a there was a clause in the contract basically saying that uh because they did it outside of work like they did it like while they're at home or something like that over over the weekend when they weren't actually in the facility, um, it didn't violate, it didn't warrant firing, so to speak. Never mind the fact that the dancers that pictures that they were sharing were colleagues. They were colleagues. They were fellow dancers in that ballet. so it's already bad as it is, but you're you know you're doing it with with people that are within that company at that moment. The whole thing was just terrible, and uh, you're right. I mean, how he how he was able to get his job back, how he was able to. Um, get cast in West in Side Story is just it's just beyond me. So,
1: I mean, if somebody, if like if that happened, and then he went away for a while, and he came back, and he was like, "I have spent years in therapy. I have made restitution. I've uh, made attempts to begin to make restitution to the people that I've hurt. I'm going to be speaking." Like, if something like that happened, okay, let's have maybe a different conversation. But it seems to me from the outside, and certainly not knowing him, like he's kind of just going through life being like. I'm entitled to this and this isn't fair that I should get punished. Yeah. And and there seems to be this sort of boys club that just allows for all that behavior. And I think behind closed doors, there's definitely a feeling of like, oh, you know, like boys will be boys. And like, of course, you're going to talk about women like that. And like, oh, it's so stupid that women are being so sensitive. And I mean, I hear also all the time of like, I don't know how to talk to women anymore. I don't know how to do that. It, 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 it I don't know. The whole thing just, Makes me so frustrated. Yeah. I, I somebody say something much more eloquently than this. That um, part of the reason that so many straight men have such homophobia is that they're worried that another man will treat them the way they've been treating women for centuries. And so I I I like that idea. It's like if somebody that you're not attracted to, who's bigger and stronger than you, did this or said this to you, would you be okay with it? That should be your gauge for whether you should do that when a woman is around, you know,
0: right. Um,
1: But I, it it needs, it needs to stop. It needs to stop. And ironically, it's the men that I know that are the most, like, I care about this. I want to make sure that women are always comfortable that have like never been the problem. It's always the ones that are like, why is everybody being so sensitive? And like, I don't know what to do now, That like, they're the ones that are the problem. If you've ever like questioned, if you're the problem, you're probably not. It's the people mm. who, like never ask that question of
0: themselves. <laughs> Let me ask you this: um, just to, just to wrap this up, because I mean, we could talk about this for four hours, but yeah. um, you know, being someone who is working in all these different facets in the theater industry, like I said, you're a writer, you're a director, you're an actress, you're a producer, um, so you're working with you know men in power at a, at a constant basis. Um, when it comes to the people that that are genuinely Want to say, look, I want to make sure that I'm not anything I say is not misconstrued as misogyny, or I don't want to come off as I'm, um, you know, mansplaining or, or things like that. What right. what type of dialogue or conversation or questions would would you like welcome? I guess you could say to clear the air, so to speak.
1: I'll always welcome a a legitimate conversation, and that's the thing. There's a wonderful. Um, woman natalie Wynn, who has a youtube show called contrapoints that i highly recommend Mm -hmm. Um, she's a beautiful intelligent trans woman and she recently did um a video about something similarly related to this or she she did a post or something and it was basically saying that it's it's the exhaustion of people asking those questions who don't really want answers. They just sort of want to get in an argument. It's the people that really want the answers that like, there's not really a problem. Um, I'm somebody, I'm generally a confident person. Um, I've lived through some stuff. So I, you know, don't have patience or tolerance for certain things. Um, If somebody really wants to come up to me and ask that, great, awesome. Let's have a conversation. I'm also somebody who, if something happens, I'm very open to being like, you know what? I found that inappropriate. And this is why, um, if somebody's response to so that is, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to great. Awesome. Now you're aware if somebody then becomes really defensive about it, that's when we kind of have a big problem.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. So I, mean, I, I would encourage women I, be, because it's totally our job to be the ones to fix this and deal with this, um, to in, a, in as, I guess, kind of way as you can be be brutally honest. Like, if somebody does something, you be like, you know what? I found that really inappropriate. Um, what did you mean by that? And to call people in a way that's not like being angry or aggressive or something, bring it up in the moment so people become aware of it. Um, if you don't feel like you can do that, go to somebody in a higher position of authority if you can. Um, I, I, worked at a gig recently where something very inappropriate happened and I went to my boss and I was like, this happened and it was really not okay. Like somebody from HR needs to be spoken to about it. Um, I don't know, but I mean, men, please do ask the questions and please don't come at it from a place of fear, but from a place of, you know, respect. Um, cause we're not just sitting here waiting to like, get mad at you about something, mm-hmm. We're like, we're kind of tired of this and we understand that this is systemic and this is a worldwide thing. So let's work together to, to fix it. But I feel like you, you've, you've got to also like value women. Like, please don't put us in a position that's going to make us uncomfortable. You know, ev- I'm sure every woman in the West side story cast is going to be uncomfortable about having him in the company, especially who is he, is he playing Bernardo?
0: He's playing Bernardo. Yeah.
1: I, I wouldn't want to be playing Anita opposite him. I really wouldn't want to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know by excusing somebody's behavior and making him feel happy you're putting dozens of other people in an uncomfortable position yeah. and that's that's not okay you we need to hold men accountable we know all, all people accountable certainly if other people that are not men are doing these things they need to be held accountable too but there has to be accountability um there there has to be Definitely. um Definitely. So
0: yeah well ashley thank you so much for for taking some time for this segment again this Perfect. is why the, everything that you said is exactly why i wanted to have you talk about this because again
1: some solutions you know um, yeah honestly a bit of a dialogue about it folks right. like, men and women like you know we just we gotta talk about it and
0: you know yeah and the more we talk the more ideas come the the better understanding is out there the awareness is out there and you know, like you said, it's it just it has to come from dialogue. It has to come
1: from from having those conversations. So and um, people know they're not alone. I think that's the big. Mm. Um, I think for so long, so many people thought they were the only ones going through it. Oh, I will share this story. Uh, my like first week in the city, I took a dance class at Steps. I don't remember how it came up in conversation, but like I was clearly like the baby newbie. Um, almost every woman in that class came up to me when they found out I was new and told me the names of a couple major men in the industry to never be alone in a room with wow ever they're like under no circumstances be alone with this person and if i said their name every human being would know who i'm talking about um but it's all sort of like hush hush behind closed doors like we got to sort of protect each other and that it needs it needs to be a broader thing
0: absolutely absolutely well Ashley, thank you so much again I, I really appreciate the time and um real quick i mean if you want to be found on social media where or or you know uh, websites where can people find find you and get some more information about all the stuff you're involved with
1: sure well the biggest place is my website which is ashleygriffinofficial.com a-s-h-l-e-y-g-r-i-f-f-i-n official.com and there's links to all my social media and whatnot um i believe my twitter handle is Ashley ashleyjgriffin um instagram And Facebook is Ashley Griffin official. Um, Yeah, so please come stalk me. It'll be fun.
0: Love it. All right. Thank you so much, Ashley. Appreciate it.
1: Thank you. All right. Let's move on.
0: So we've gotten we've gotten some um, some news, some casting news, uh, coming out from the upcoming revival of The Music Man, which is set to open on Broadway next september not this september obviously a year from now uh but uh people such as jefferson mays uh, have been cast shuler hensley jane hudishel i mean the list goes on and on they are joining a cast already with hugh jackman in the title character and Sutton foster as marion what should be fully understood is how talented this cast is uh this is a a plus cast in terms of the quality of the individuals in it however there is one glaring issue uh, that I have about this cast and so far it has been that the entire principal cast of the music man so far is all white now there are some of you probably rolling your eyes at me right now. And that's okay. You're people that just don't support casting equality. And that's fine. I'm not going to say anything here that's going to change your mind. But here's the problem I have with this cast. We are now in 2019. And thankfully, casting equality, casting representation, and making sure that these casts are as diverse as possible have come leaps and bounds in a lot of different areas. We are starting to see people of color, playing roles that were thought to be default white in a lot of these productions. Oklahoma, the recent revival of Oklahoma, is a good example of that. So we're starting to see people of color pop up in all these different roles. The prom, diverse cast. There's there's progress being made. So for it to be 2020 by the time that this show comes out, I feel that the casting that we've seen so far is a gigantic step backwards. And if you think I am alone in that I am not, because that opinion is also being shared by the show's leading producer, Scott Rudin. (laughs) Again, not surprised. Uh, In a recent interview with The Hollywood Reporter, Scott Rudin said the following, and I think this is important. What I learned on Hello Dolly, which he also produced, was that there is an enormous hunger for them, being these great American musical theater works, hunger for them, from the theater going audience. But the hunger, I think, is to see these golden age musicals in a golden age way. Now, depending upon how you take that, he goes even further. When we did Dolly, my desire was to put 1964 on stage. That's what we want to do with the music band. We want to basically put on stage an experience that is our version of what we believe people felt when they walked out of the Majestic to see, uh, walked into the Majestic to see the music band in 1957. So again, just like Hello Dolly, all white principal cast, people of color in the background. With the music Man, we're going to get the same thing. And I feel like that is a tremendous step backwards. Not surprising for Scott Rudin, but a step backwards nonetheless. Thankfully, we're starting to see a lot more diversity. And I feel like that's a trend that should keep going. Even if, for some people, believing that there are black asian latino whatever people of color population of iowa in the turn of the century we can suspend our disbelief just a tad right now when when they announced that um Hugh Jackman and and Sutton Foster were going to lead in this show I fully expected a person of color playing Marcellus Washburn we're not going to get that I fully expected a person of color possibly playing Mary Shin's wife we're not going to get that. So again, where are the people of color in this production? Because they're they, none of them have come yet. And I'm really afraid that they're just simply going to be background players just like they were in Hello Dolly. And this is not the time for that. This really isn't. We should be promoting diversity on our stage. Because let's be honest, more and more people of color are getting involved in theater. I'm starting to see it in colleges. I'm seeing it in high schools. I'm seeing it in BFA auditions. We're getting more population diverse populations auditioning for these shows which means down the road we're going to have a lot more diverse uh people auditioning for these productions we cannot single them out and force them out and just simply cast white people we can't we just can't and i know people want to say well the best person in the room should the role should go to the best person in the room i 100 percent agree with that but at the same time, we also have to be play close attention to diversity. And not for nothing, but Jefferson Mays and Schiller Hensley are not auditioning to be in the music band. They're just not. And if they are, then pff, they need to fire their agent. But they are not auditioning to be in that show. They're being asked and pitched to be part of that production. And they very easily could have gone after an, an equally brilliant, if not more brilliant, person of color for those roles. So I am definitely disappointed in this casting, especially nowadays, especially with all the progress that's being made. I am hoping that we start hearing a whole slew of people of color being cast in that show. Okay? I think at this point I'm I'm holding out hope that Tommy Gilis is going to be a person of color, and that that's saying a lot at this point. So, Music Man do better Please, it's 2020. It'll be 2020 by the time that you hit that stage. Let's move on. Last week, Colleen Ballinger, who is currently in the cast of Waitress, we all know her as Miranda Sings on YouTube and Netflix, uh, came out with a, a Twitter post uh, calling, stating a story that happened to her, an experience that happened to her uh, stage during last week where she was basically called a bitch uh, by someone uh, in the, the stage door line uh, who she she did not sign her whatever she wanted to sign because that person did not go see the show. And she just explained that she would rather sign autographs for people that came to see the show. Now, how does she know who came to see the show? Because people are holding out playbills. That's what you do. This person, whoever it was, was not probably holding out a playbill and decided to call Colleen a bitch, which is unacceptable. That is unacceptable etiquette for a theater fan. Chances are the person that did that is no theater fan. And if they are... They're no theater fan that I want to be associated with. And they certainly don't deserve autographs. But um, that is unacceptable. And lately, over the past couple of years, we have started to see this behavior increase more and more and more, especially with the influx of um, you know cele- other celebrities coming in these shows. And it's a problem. It's becoming a problem that really does need to be addressed. So this is the point... Um, I think we're getting to that point where if certain Broadway shows wanted to completely change the way that stage dooring is done, I would be 100% okay with it. Whether you want to do a lottery and you read off, you know, a hundred some odd names that are, would be invited into the theater where you can actually control the environment, okay, I'd be for that. If I was, you know, if someone who said, look, we're only going to do stage dooring after such and such performances, I would be okay with that. Not for nothing, but you know, Friday night, 10, 30, 11 o'clock in Times Square, some you know, different you know, different types of people are going to probably interact there. It's going to be a different crowd than a Wednesday matinee. So I would be okay with them pre-announcing, okay, we're not going to do a stage door in such and such dates. Control the environment. Because things are definitely getting out of hand. And I'm not so much concerned about safety, but I am concerned about etiquette. We, we all know that fandoms, Broadway fandoms, can get toxic very quickly. No disrespect to the non-toxic fans, especially from those from the uh, shows like Be More Chill, for instance, but there's always a toxic element that is very vocal, that is very negative, and it's, it's a problem. And you start to see a lot of this happen at Broadway shows. And I need to remind folks out there, I need to remind you of something. If you have a problem with with actors not coming out for stage awards, not signing autographs, things like that, read the back of your ticket. I guarantee you, I will bet you a million dollars on that ticket. Nothing says on that ticket that a post-show autograph session is guaranteed or a part of the price of what you paid to get to see that show. Nothing. You are not owed anything after that curtain falls and the show is over. These actors owe you anything. Nothing. The fact that they're coming out and doing stage drawing is out of the kindness of their hearts, and because it's something that they want to give back to the fans, the people that saw the show. If you did not go see that show, you have no business butting to the head of the line, pushing people out of the way that did see the show just to just to get an autograph. Okay, you certainly should not call any of these actors and performers names when you don't get your way, and you certainly don't go on Twitter bashing them left and right because you didn't get an autograph. You are owed nothing after the performance. They have just given you 100% on stage. You are literally catching them in the act of leaving the theater to go home. They are stopping to sign an autograph for you. That's it. That That is a luxury. That is an extra. And not for nothing, but if they prefer just to sign autographs for the children that are there, okay, I dare you to be the jerk that complains about that. So again, people, when it comes to stage drawing, these things are becoming a problem. And getting to the problem where I have, I am starting to have less and less of an issue if theaters wanted to change the way stage drawing is done from here on out. If it's going to control the environment, it's going to keep their performers safe, it's going to keep things less toxic and less confrontational, I am 100% behind it. And you know what? If they do do that, Broadway fans, toxic fans, idiots, morons, you have only yourself to blame for that. And you've just ruined it for everybody else. I'm just going to throw that out there. Last thing I want to talk about real quick. And like I said, this is not the most positive thing, but I'll get there, I promise. It is just announced that Matthew Broderick and his wife, Sarah Jessica Parker, are coming back to Broadway this year to star in Neil Simon's Plaza Suite, where the couple will play three different couples during the show now i personally am very excited to see this because i have yet to see matthew Broderick play a different character than his typical wooden personality less self and believe me um if you have seen his recent theatrical performances charisma and variation and range you're not not really his strong points right now so uh, i am really excited to see what happens with plaza suite because again um I think it'll force him to stretch. I think it'll force him to actually play different types of characters. So I'm excited about it. I really am. All right. As promised, we are going to wrap up this episode with something positive. And the one positive I want to say is a, a story coming out of New York that uh, playwrights, songwriters, activists, and scientists are actually going to come together for climate change theater action, which is setting the stage for better play. And this is a series of plays, songs, and discussions surrounding the pressing issue of climate change. And this event is happening on September 15th at 3.30 p.m. at the Lower East Side's Caveat. The presentation will will feature original five-minute plays written by writers from all over the world. The show will also include spoken word poetry, original songs. This is a great event. For anybody out there who doesn't believe in climate change, you're just delusional at this point, okay? I spent half of my year in Savannah, Georgia, and that city, up until a couple years ago, had only had direct hits of hurricanes, I think twice in the past 30 years. They've had almost three in the past five. So again, for those of you who don't believe in climate change out there, please be smarter. Be smarter. So I think this is a great event. I hope that if you're in the city, if you're on the Lower East Side, that you'll join it once again. It's called Climate Change Theater Action, setting the stage for a better planet. That's going to wrap us up for this episode of Hot Take Theater. Thank you for listening to my rant for the past hour, half an hour. I can't tell you how much. I appreciate it. Like I said, this is just the beginning. We're going to blow this thing up as much as possible. You can listen to this podcast and all of our podcasts on the Onstage Blog podcast network at OnStageBlog.com. You can also hear these on Apple Podcasts and Spotify right now. So please, if you're on both those networks, look us up, follow us, give us five-star ratings, whatever you want. It'll definitely help us get the word out even more. Like I said, we're going to be doing these, trying to do these almost every single night. So, um, I'll be back. I promise you that. But thanks again. I can't I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Until next time. This is Hot Take Theater with Chris Peterson. We'll see you soon. <laughs>